Hello, hello. Hey. Is it working? Yeah. Yay. Okay. All right. Um, we just had like 7,000 technical difficulties in a row. So <laughs> we're back now, though. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully like there that. won't be cutouts this time. <laughs> oh, yes. That would be ideal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you all about my adventures in the dark in a hot second after, after the episode. But that was really something. A whole it sounded vibe. like it. <laughs> yeah, um, we had a power outage, and then I like couldn't. The data wasn't working, so I like was trying to text Maddie and be like, "Hey, I'm sorry. Like, I might not be there at um, the time we said that we'd record, and it just wasn't going through, and it was a whole situation." <laughs> but it's fine. Let's talk about murder instead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. Welcome to Grim. Woo. I, this story is, is interesting, is interesting. I'm going to butcher everyone's name, um, <laughs> and I'm just going to put that out there right now. I did, I did look it up on, like, Google Translate or whatever, like, the speech app, mm-hmm. so I'm going to try to pronounce it like that, but, you know, I'm, I'm sorry in advance. It's just, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so today we're talking about Jack Unterweger. Um, okay, I thought you were going to say Jack the Ripper. I was like, ooh. <laughs> I think that would be a pretty long story, I'm not going to yeah, lie. that's true. <laughs> um, maybe maybe a, a multi-episode series yeah. for, for that sometime later, but not Jack the Ripper this week, unfortunately. Um, Jack Unterweger was born in 1950 in Graz, which is the capital city of Styria, in this, which is like a state in southeast Austria. Um, and it's actually the second largest city in Austria after Vienna. Fun fact, in case you're oh. wondering. Um, his mother was called Teresa Unterweger, and she was a barmaid or, like, a waitress. Um, some sources that I read also said that she was a sex worker, but, like, she just, she wasn't, like, in a steady, like, nine-to-five job is what I'm getting. Okay. Um, and his father was Jack Becker, who was an American soldier, and I want to say he left, like, right after um, Jack Interweger was born, so, like, they never actually knew each other. Okay. Um, Jack and Teresa actually met in Italy, and while she was pregnant, Teresa was arrested for fraud and then was released before Jack Interweger was born. So, like, a bit of a turbulent uh, childhood yeah. <laughs> right from the start. Um, in 1953, his mother was arrested again, so she sent her son to live with his grandfather in Corinthia, which is, like, a southernmost Austrian state. Um, probably not the best decision, because his grandfather was a, quote-unquote, rough fellow, um, who basically used him to steal farm animals. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never really, I, that, the end of that sentence, you never really see it coming. <laughs> Yeah, what? Um, <laughs> how, how does one go about stealing farm animals? I wish I could tell you, but as someone who's not a criminal, I actually don't know. <laughs> Seems like it would be very much trickier than stealing, like, valuables, you know? Right? Because, like, they're, yeah. they're, they're, it's a whole animal. Yeah. Like, what do you, how do you steal it? Yeah, honestly. I don't. Um, on top of that, uh, his grandfather is also abusive and an alcoholic, so I feel like... Yeah, not a good combo standard, you know, bringing up someone badly behavior. 
um, his grandfather would like to do this this fun little thing where he would have sex with prostitutes while Jack slept in the same bed. (gasps) Oh my god. Um, And if that doesn't scream traumatic, I don't know what does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, if you can imagine from these things that I've been telling you, Jack did grow up in poverty under less than desirable conditions for, you know, a growing boy. Mm. Um, It was really his mother's work as um, as a prostitute or a waitress, barmaid, her abandonment, and his aunt who helped raise him and who was also a prostitute until she was, like, she was murdered by a client. Um, and this caused him to absolutely despise prostitutes. Um, also probably hated women in general, um, is yeah. the vibe that I'm getting. I, I did read that he had been with over 150 women, but wow. I think I think just, like, due to his upbringing and stuff like that, all of these environmental factors as well as just fundamentally who he was as a person. Yeah. Which just ended up badly. He hated women. Um, he was in and out of prison for most of his adolescence. Between 1966 and 1974, he worked as a waiter, but was convicted 16 times for theft, pimping, and sexual assault of a sex worker. That's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. I don't really love it. Um, this is when it gets worse. Um, in 1974, he murdered Margaret Schaefer, who was an 18-year-old German girl. He dragged her out into the woods, sexually assaulted her, and then strangled her with her own bra. Oh, my God. Yeah. And she was 18. She was only 18 years old. Do you know how old he was? Um, 1974. He was born in 1950. 74? Okay. Am I doing that math right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, like I said, this wasn't his first crime. He already had 16 convictions for, among other things, sexually assaulting and violently abusing prostitutes. Um, a few months before he murdered Schaefer, he beat a woman up, tie her down, and then raped her with a steel rod. Ugh. Oh my god. That, um, that's genuinely horrifying. I mean, all of this is, but... <laughs> yeah, it... I feel like any time we talk about a serial killer, there's always the risk of sexual assault, and it, yeah. it hurts me every single time. Yeah. It's not good. Um, yeah. Two years later, he was convicted for her murder and sentenced to life in prison. During this time, he took up writing. Um, He wrote short stories, poems, plays, even an autobiography. Wow. I wonder who would want to read that. (laughs) Right. Um, But here's the thing. He titled his autobiography, uh, Purgatory or the Trip to Prison, Report of a Guilty Man. That was the title of his autobiography. So he just knows he's not a good person. Well, of course. I mean, I don't think anyone who can do these things and be convicted of a crime and then say that they're guilty, like, say that they did it, I don't think they can... I feel like that would take a serious sense of, like, denial and, like, a truly messed up moral compass to be like, no, I'm still a good person, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, some people deny that they're guilty, too. Sure. I think he he was like he he admitted to doing all these things. Okay. Um, 
But this autobiography was later the inspiration for a documentary that they made on him. And this is, it honestly, this gets me. Basically overnight, he went from one of Austria's most dangerous men to one of its best-selling authors. Oh my god. Right? It... Okay. This this story is literally so messed up. Okay. He wrote things like, quote, No theme is more poetic than the death of a beautiful woman. There is an age at which a woman must be beautiful in order to be loved, and there is an age in which a woman must be loved in order to be beautiful. End quote. Nothing like and, some good old misogyny. <laughs> I just... This is all coming from a man who literally choked and raped and like hurt women yeah like, who does he think he is writing this kind of like i just i don't know i guess it was like the style of writing that made people almost respect him i just feel like i couldn't read something written by a, like the person who murdered them you know i don't know i just like right. would feel gross I would too. I think that I like I've read, you know, things written on people. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely a difference. And like I know that these people like go to prisons and do interviews and stuff like that, but I feel like there's a difference between reading something about someone and then reading something from their point of view. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think my headspace is like like it's a good enough headspace to be like, yeah, I can understand what this person does yeah um but the thing about him is that it was just something about the way he wrote something about like the way he did things was that like his autobiography was read by a lot of different people and it basically convinced them that he would have been a good person but growing up without a mother really hurt him oh i don't know that's yeah i don't think i like that i don't either and then it gets even worse for some reason, despite the fact that he was a literal murderer, in 1985, there was a campaign to pardon him and release him from prison. Because his writing was that good? I guess. Like, it, was, it wasn't just for some reason, like I said. Like, it was a little bit of an exaggeration. But, like, most people were convinced from his autobiography and the way that he wrote that he should be free. Um, like, I think not. <laughs> I, I really hate it. I... This man does not deserve to be free. Mm-mm. But basically thousands of people wanted him to be released. They were like, it doesn't really matter what he's done. Look at him. He's changed, you know? No, like, I that's... think it, it does matter what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> it really, th- what people think, it, it genuinely baffles me. Like, like I can't see this from their point of view. Yeah, I don't I don't know that. what they're thinking. Especially because it wasn't just like a little mistake. It's like there were warning signs and then it happened twice like right and yeah no it's not happening for me but but in this campaign statement it literally said quote austrian justice will be measured by the unterweger case end quote like it was like a whole thing like people were adamant that this man should be free wow i i I don't get it Okay. So, okay, yeah, here's the thing. So the president of Austria, um, Rudolf Kirschlinger, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing the name wrong, he looked at the case, he looked at petitions, and then he refused to sign the petition because he said that there was a court-mandated minimum sentence of 15 years, and Jack Interbaker hadn't served this. So even though he 
literally, I don't know what his sentence was. I just know that he was sentenced to prison and then it was probably more than the 15 years, but he was released on May 23rd, 1990 after the required 15 years had passed. Oh my God. And during this time, during those 15 years, he was basically a model prisoner. And like during and after his time in prison, people said that he was proof that no matter what someone had done in the past, they could turn it around and they could, they could be a good person. I'm sensing this does not hold for the rest of the story. (laughs) Yeah, you sense correctly. (laughs) Um, But even though you might know what's happening, um, as he was released, the Austrian governor said, this gets me, quote, we will never find a prisoner so well prepared for freedom, end quote. Oh, boy. (laughs) And then it gets even worse. After he was released... His autobiography was actually included in school curriculums and taught. Oh my god. That's horrifying. (laughs) Absolutely horrifying. It's like I have no words. And his poems were apparently so beautiful that they were also taught in school. People said that he had a true poet soul. And the stories he wrote and stuff, they were performed on the radio and like on TV. And he even hosted a TV program about criminal rehabilitation. Oh my god and then after all of this happened he even ended up working for orf which is a public broadcaster like he was a reporter he reported on different unsolved murder cases did he and spoiler alert he was later convicted of those very murders i i was gonna say i think i might have heard of this that just rang a bell right oh it my just, god it, i cannot believe the audacity of this man like, yeah, it that is genuinely blows my mind. Oh, I just like, can you imagine like, because like we listen to true crime things. So, like, can you imagine like listening to like BuzzFeed Unsolved or something, but like instead of Shane and Ryan, it's someone who's literally like a murderer and they're on their crimes, but you just don't know it's their crimes yet. Horrifying. That's so scary. Absolutely horrifying. Like it gets me every single time. I cannot believe that this happened. Yeah, that's really that. Oh my god! Especially because like he could have stayed in prison. He, yeah, like, it, he they didn't, didn't have to release him. He wasn't such a good writer, I guess. <laughs> it just—it genuinely, I cannot. This story is ridiculous. It's quite baffling. <laughs> yeah, it is quite baffling. All right, so, um, like I said, he did report on a number of different unsolved murder cases. And, um... Yeah, it was later found out that Unterweger killed Blanka Bokova in Czechoslovakia. Blanka was found on September 15th, 1990, when some people were walking along the Vitava River. And she was found lying on her back and completely nude. And it... breaks my heart. Yeah. The night before, she'd apparently gone out with friends, um, but she had stayed at the bar when her friends had left around 11.45 p.m., and she was last seen talking to a man who was around 40 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he killed seven more women in Austria in 1990. 39-year-old Brunhild Masser, 31-year-old Heidi Hammer, 35-year-old Elfriede Schmerf, Schmerf. I'm sorry about the name. 23-year-old Silva, Sylvia Zagler, 
25-year-old Sabine Motsel, 25-year-old Karen Erlu Sledke, and lastly, 32-year-old Regina Brown. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And is that just in one year, you said? I believe that is all in 1990. Wow. Yeah. He killed all of these people within a year of him being released from prison. Oh, my God. That must have really, like, hurt the... Like, because I know some people can be rehabilitated. Like, it it really depends on the crime, to be honest. But, like, Mm -hmm. that must have really hurt the, like, rehabilitation system and, like, people's belief in it because he was so, like like such an advocate for it and then yeah like they really thought he could be rehabilitated yeah and then they release him and this is what he does it like it oh god and the worst part is like every single one of these women's deaths could be prevented Mm -hmm. and it's just i don't know all of them also were found killed with the same mo they were found strangled with their own bras Oh my god, what, how, how did that, like, how did no one connect that? Because isn't that the same with at least the second one he did too, right? Yeah, yeah. At the time, basically all the media knew was that these murders were carried out with his MO. Oh. The women were dragged into the woods, beaten, and then strangled with their own underwear. So did they think but, it was a copycat? Yeah, because oh they god. didn't want to, they didn't want their, like, model reformed prisoner oh not to be a model reformed prisoner. So they basically just said that the Vienna Woods killer was murdering people. And, like, people did put it together that it was probably him because they all happened after he was released from prison and Mm -hmm. it was all his M.O. And he was reporting on them. (laughs) And he was reporting on them. But the Vienna Woods killer left no forensic evidence behind, so they couldn't concretely say anything. Now that's, like, even though they were, like, it's his M.O., like, it happened after he was released from prison, they couldn't be, like, it's 100% him. That's, like especially scary because he probably learned that from being put away the first time like how to right yeah get away with how it. to get away with it yikes in 1991 the police interviewed him and he admitted to visiting the red light district but he like he worked for a news company he said that he was just interviewing prostitutes oh. for research purposes and it like <laughs> what? Oh. yeah that's really um, scary terrifying um, they called in FBF profiler special agent Greg McCary for help with the case. Um, and at the same time, in 1991, he was hired by this magazine to write about crime in L.A. and about prostitution in terms of the Europe and the U.S., like about the attitudes of people towards prostitutes in these different places. Um, and then also, I think the like the thing that he was supposed to write about was like the quote-unquote terrible conditions suffered by American sex workers. So basically for him, he had just been interviewed about a crime. They were planning on calling the FBI. And this was just the perfect opportunity for him to flee the country and like police interrogations and everything. He took it. Oh no. And he went there as a reporter. He went to LA as a reporter and he met with police and he even went on like ride-alongs and stuff when they patrolled the red light district. Um, like he was researching for his magazine and during this time, during this time, when he, as soon as he went over to LA, they found the bodies of Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Peggy Booth. And they were all beaten, sexually assaulted with tree branches, and strangled with their own bras. Oh my god. I just, oh my god. Awful. It, 
just I distinctly remember researching this and being so incredibly disturbed Mm -hmm. that again like with the last case I don't know what is with me picking these absolutely terrible cases but I just have to take a break here because I first of all it was just the shock of like what he did and second of all it was how it even happened yeah it's just so frustrating that like it didn't need to happen like it really could have been prevented it's so incredibly frustrating and i it just it really hurts me yeah um so back in austria they had a suspicion that he might have had something to do with the strangulations of first of all the seven women in austria who were strangled with their own bras because they were like there are too many coincidences coincidences here he's probably the vienna woods killer Mm -hmm. um and then they also made this connection because special agent mccary called the lapd to ask about homicides with that mo and then they finally made this connection that when he went to la there were murders with that mo in la and there weren't any murders in austria at the same time so they were like what is the common denominator between this it's just him Mm -hmm. it's just him um, and there were no other suspects in Austria for the murders that had these MO, that, like, the same MO as the ones that just appeared in LA as soon as he left. So finally, the police decided that he was a person of interest and they said that they were going to keep him under surveillance. Um, while he was under surveillance, they didn't discover anything that connected him to the murders. But eventually, the Austrian police, like, they finally got a warrant for his arrest. Um, so he went back home back to austria and then they got this warrant for his arrest and by the time that they got to his place by the time they were trying to find him he fled he fled his home oh my god (laughs) he ran um the police ended up chasing him and his girlfriend bianca Marac, and they chased them through switzerland france and even the u.s before they finally arrested him in miami on February 27th, 1992. That's... That's a lot. <laughs> How did he travel? Yeah. I have absolutely no idea. I guess because it's... This was all before 9-11 happened, mm. so I know that the restrictions were, like, a lot less. Okay. But still, like, if they have a warrant for his arrest, yeah. they're really going to let his passport get through? Like, Yeah, you would hope that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think it would happen now. I yeah. feel like now you'd really have to get like a good forgery to get through an airport. Yeah. Because there's so much security and like good, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like it prevents stuff like this from happening. Yeah. During this whole chase, during this whole time that he was literally fleeing from the police, he made several calls to the Austrian media to try to convince them that he was innocent. Oh my god. I like. I just. It worked one time, but it's not it's right, not going to work again. <laughs> I don't. What is he thinking? Oh, he was apparently obsessed with how people saw him. And he said things like, quote, I cannot bear going back into a cell. And this news has already already disturbed me socially. There's no sense in me staying in Austria. <sighs> maybe, maybe don't kill people. The, the part that really gets me is there's no sense in me staying in Austria. Right. Really, bud? What? Maybe because there's what? a warrant for your arrest. <laughs> because you actually murdered people. Yeah. What? There's consequences the to action. <laughs> Crazy. 
absolutely insane who would have thought oh my god this man it's just this is literally i don't think we've had a story that gets more crazy than this yeah this is like i this is it's a lot it's quite absurd (laughs) um his obsession basically caused him to be caught the fbi convinced him that there were reporters from a magazine called success the magazine was called success okay and they wanted to pay him ten thousand dollars for a chance to hear his side of the story Oh, boy. So this man took the bait and walked into a room full of U.S. Marshals. Can you imagine? immediately arrested him. Can you imagine being, like, the officer who, like, proposed that? And they were like, no, that's so <laughs> dumb. Like, he's never going to buy it. And then he does it, and he's like, well, told you so. <laughs> At least they did it, you know? whatever. However it may have happened. Oh, my God. I cannot. But that person, if that happened the way that you said, that would be, yeah. like... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just that's so incredibly like it's just, yeah yeah no yeah <laughs> yeah no words um also the entire case this whole case like the whole thing about like you know you can have like speculation about this kind of stuff like if you go to court or whatever it's like maybe it was him maybe it wasn't him if there was no concrete evidence because all they really had was that it seemed like his mo and they were happening in the places that he was mm-hmm but the entire case was actually based on DNA from a single hair that they found. Oh, wow. Yeah. At the crime scene? Um, I think so, at one of them. Wow. And later on, they ended up matching this one red fiber from the trunk of his car to one of the victims. Oh, my God. Um, so the DNA, fiber, and timeline basically convinced the jury that he was this killer. Wow. Um, all of this happened in America, so he was extradited to Austria about a month later on May 27th, 1992, and there he was accused of 11 homicides. Wow. These homicides were nine that occurred in Austria, the seven after he was released and the two before, one in Prague and three in L.A. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I don't many. think they could. Yeah, it's... Um, and he was officially charged with nine counts of murder in the first degree because two of the bodies were so degraded that the coroner couldn't link it to his MO. Oh, my God. Which, I feel so bad for their families, honestly. Like, yeah. That must hurt. Yeah. Um, they did a psych eval, and Austrian psychiatrist Dr. Reinhard Haller diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, that makes sense. This was <laughs> also presented to the court. It does make sense. But, you know, you can trap a narcissist by telling them a magazine wants to pay them for their side of the story. Apparently. So it's fine. <laughs> um, and then I guess they finally did something right. They um, sentenced him to life in prison without possibility of parole on June 29th, 1994. Good. This man. Yeah. That night, he committed suicide at the prison by hanging himself with a rope made of shoelaces and a cord from the trousers of his tracksuit. He used the same exact knot that was found on every single one of the single sex workers. Oh my god. Um... Yeah. Prior to his death, he had basically said that he had intention to seek an appeal. Um, So, therefore, under Austrian law, his guilty verdict was not considered legally binding after his death. And it has not been reviewed and confirmed by the court. Wait, so, like, he's not technically guilty? Technically, he's not guilty. 
That's horrible. It is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And I hate to leave you there, but that that's all. Holy shit. Like, that's it. That is the conclusion to this case is that he was found guilty. But because he said that he was going to make an appeal and then he died. Oh, my God. And then he killed himself. He didn't just die. Yeah. He killed himself. I feel like there should be a clause where if you kill yourself, then it's it's not. Because, like, that's ob- I feel like that's just obviously, like, taking a way out where you save your name almost you know like that's yeah it absolutely is so like yeah that's disgusting yeah that's no just yeah oh my god like this whole case it really is just one insane thing after another Mm -hmm. and then it has the worst conclusion yeah i really was not expecting that (laughs) right like you you really think that like like, he got caught. He got caught. Like, he's going to get charged. Yeah. And then he did get charged. And somehow this guilty verdict didn't stick. And it brings me irrational anger. I am so angry. Yeah, that's really not fair. Like, to... just for every single one of those women yeah. that he hurt in any way, all of their families, yeah. they deserve better. They deserved better than that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it, it's a lot. <laughs> this case is is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, my main takeaway from this is that he was a terrible, terrible human being and he he shouldn't have gone out that way. Like, that was just disgusting. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Well, I hate to make you change the tone <laughs> on that note, <laughs> but if you would like to. Oh, boy. Well, it is Super Bowl Sunday here, so... Ooh, forgot about that. Yeah, Super Bowl starting soon. I watched the Puppy Bowl earlier today, which was very nice. <laughs> oh my god. Remember that one time that the, we did that together? That yeah. was my favorite memory. That was really fun. We have to do that when, if we're ever in the same place during the Puppy Bowl <laughs> again. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I don't know. things are crazy on campus because we just we have like over 500 active COVID cases and the school decided 500? yeah it's insane and the school decided to be like no we're fine we just got like 300 more quarantine rooms so we're good you guys can still go to in-person classes you just can't see anyone else oh my god so we're on lockdown except for in-person classes so that makes a lot of sense to me that really just seems like a recipe for people's mental health deteriorating literally yeah <laughs> so i'm oh my quite goodness. excited for that <laughs> uh. um and yeah that's that's it for me i'm just trying to survive <laughs> i really hate that for you yeah it's not like a good i time. really hate it yeah but it's especially not a good time to be in a single because for lockdown you can obviously still see your roommates but oh my god wait is there no rule for being in a single like here at least like i know we're on like full lockdown like you're not supposed to go over to other people's houses but if you're in like if you live alone you're allowed to form a bubble with like one other household so that your mental health doesn't completely (laughs) deteriorate well that's nice of them yeah i don't think that we have a rule like that here so (laughs) they really just don't care (laughs) they really said figure it out on your own they did do it yourself it's fine figure it out yeah my goodness yeah so that's really fun for fun fresh new and exciting (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, but what's what's new with you? Tell us about your your um power outage. Oh yeah, it was really really fun. Um, I was just sitting there, literally just trying to get some work done, um, before I was gonna make myself dinner at like nine o'clock and then the power went out and I was like I turned to my flatmate and I was like literally we I had we have money on the card like we shouldn't have had it go out Mm -hmm. like it didn't even beep at us because I fully thought that it was just because like we ran out of money um on our like electricity card or whatever then like we looked at the window and there were people out there with flashlights and the entire like our little neighborhood was like out wow and we were like well that's interesting and so the first thing I went to do is go text you because I was like (laughs) might not be back and then it wasn't working our wi-fi wasn't working our data wasn't working um so we were like actually like fully completely cut off from everyone and we had to go on this little little adventure outside to see if any place had any working anything (laughs) um so yeah, we were we were outside for a little bit. It was kind of cold. Some man was playing bagpipes out the window. I honestly love that. I was like, I did, <laughs> I was like a full, fun little reminder that I'm in Scotland right yeah. now. You know, like it's really just good. I think it was like a citywide thing. Like honestly, because um, I had a friend who, when all the power came back on, we had data again. She like texted us and was like, "Yeah, we have. I have a friend in Haymarket who lost power, and that's like quite a. Mm-hmm. It's like a pretty far away." Wow. So I think it was a lot of places that lost power. I don't know what it was about, but it really stressed me out there for a second. Yeah, that sounds quite stressful. It was quite stressful. I didn't really vibe. <laughs> it's fine. It's back now. It's all good. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad you have it back now. That's good. Could you imagine the night without power? I, I have class tomorrow in the morning. Yeah, how would you like charge your computer and stuff? <laughs> Honestly, they'd probably have to cancel classes, but we wouldn't even know that they'd be canceled oh, because yeah. there's no data. Oh, my God. We really depend a lot on the internet. <laughs> we do. And it was kind of crazy. We were walking um, outside and the streets are like pretty dark, like decently dark. But there was like a little bit of light available. Some of the streetlights are on the... Occasionally one of the um, stop like stoplights were on. A lot of them were out though. So people were just like oh. trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's scary. I was. <laughs> it was terrifying. I was like, this is not going to be good. No one has data so they can't call anyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then when everything came back on, like, it was, it was actually kind of insane how lit up everything was. Oh, yeah, because you can see the difference, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really wild. It was very, very dark. Wow. Well. Yeah. It's all good now. an adventure. (laughs) Both having wild times at uni, I just. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really, really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it for me. Do you have anything else that you want to share? Um, that's it for me. I can do my little spiel. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so you can find us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. Follow us, like our photos, DM us, and on our profile there's a button to email us. You can email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com. Um, send us, like, stories you want us to cover, or, like, thoughts about a story we have covered, or, like, stories of your own, anything you want, really. Um, and we have a Facebook a grim podcast and a twitter podcast gram and other than that just um leave us a good review and tell your friends and family about us yeah and we'll see you guys next week yeah. for some for some little paranormal stuff i'm very excited It'll be fun yeah yeah we'll see you guys later stay safe bye. stay healthy bye <laughs>